So if you're here to listen how to make your millions with cryptocurrency, I'm sorry to tell you, but uh, you've already made your first mistake. Because on this episode of A Conversation for One, I'm going to be going deep. <laughs> like we're talking elbow deep into Disney's much adored, but sadly much ignored Tron franchise. So buckle into your light bikes, because here we go. There were space invaders, there was asteroids, and then there was Tron. The Sunday family film. Groundbreaking in its day. The science fiction cult classic. Tron, tonight at 7 on Sky Premiere. Hey there, and welcome back to A Conversation for One. And uh, if you're listening for the first time, hey, thanks for coming by. So today, if you haven't guessed, I have a pretty rad topic to fill your ear holes with. Today, the topic is the Tron franchise. Oh, and by the way, if you guys are new here, uh, this is the podcast where I ramble on just about anything, uh, a variety of multimedia, theme parks, anything really. But mainly it sticks to about horror movies and sci-fi. And obviously today it's going to be sci-fi because we are here talking about Tron. And um, to my five faithful listeners, thanks for waiting. Um, And thank you everyone for all of your support for the show. I've had people reach out to me and say, um, you know, Tyler, it's actually pretty good. Thanks for everything. Like, And honestly, it makes my day. Uh, it really does because at the end of the day, this is just a hobby. I'm not going to get rich. I barely get any listens. So just to get people, they are mostly family and friends. Um, but I have actually had two people. I have no idea who they are. They've reached out to me and they've said, Hey man, I've listened to a few. They're pretty good. And, uh, yeah, it warms my heart. It really does. And also, uh, thanks to those who support my social media. Obviously, my brother is a big contender for that, but I I definitely have a a slew of people who go out of their way to look at the stories, like the pictures, every single time, and uh, yeah, it means a lot. So, as some of you probably know, I have been working on this Tron episode uh, for quite a while. Like, I really have. Um, I think I've been, like, doing research for this bad boy for, I don't know, maybe let's say like a week now, a week and a half. And uh, it's because I am actually so, like I hate to say this, but I am. Like I'm deeply obsessed with the series. Um, I know all the ins and outs. I've watched all of the movies. I've seen the shows, I've played the games, I've read the books, like all the fan theories and deeper theories, like getting into like the code of what would have been. And like, oh man. So yeah, I'm obsessed with the series. So obviously, I wanted to get it just right, perfect, you know, and not forget to include anything because you're going to include a whole series and you're going to like cover a lot of details. If you just miss like one thing, it's too much, right? It's so you either do like a vague covering or you go like deep, as I said, elbow deep into the series. Um, So, yeah. Also, too, I've just been working on um, a lot of like the format for the podcast and I'm trying to figure out audio stuff. If, if you've noticed, like, I've definitely been improving, I would say, I, I think, anyways, with just, like, actual speaking, clarity, editing, so you don't hear a lot of, 
man, I cannot tell you how long it takes to get the out of every single one of these podcasts. Like, good Lord. It's like, you think I would just figure it out. Um, but yeah, so working on some stuff that way and blah, I know. Um, but Tyler, we don't care about how time consuming this hobby of yours is. We're strictly here for Tron and Tron alone. And th to that I say, Tron, you shall receive. But quick, um, real quick, that intro, huh? Pretty snazzy. It was a pretty snazzy intro. Like, it's my podcast and uh, I obviously had to set it up, but just listening to it, I was getting pretty pumped uh, when I heard that. So anyways, I'll try to keep the energy up. So um, yeah, let's just jump right into this. So believe it or not, I actually didn't get into Tron until like I was around 11 or 12 maybe. So even though I'm like super like this is my series, this is my jam. I wasn't actually like glued to the screen or anything as like an infinite, like, an infinite, cool, as an infant. Um, yeah, no, I, um, I believe it or not, I think I saw, do you remember that show Chuck on NBC with um, Zachary Levy, Levi? He has a poster in his room and it's like Tron, I'm almost positive. And I'd heard some stuff about Tron, you know, like the meme, like Tron guy. But I was like, okay, so this guy is like a dork. He's like playing, he's actually playing like a not too bad, like not a, not a completely stereotypical, like quote unquote nerd. Like, um, I don't know. Oh, like Big Bang Theory. God, I hate that show. But he's not, uh, yeah, God, Tyler, just get to it. Um, so I looked it up and I was like, this actually looks pretty cool. A, it checked the boxes for me, right? So it was unloved by Disney no one knew what it was it was like sci-fi you went into the computer like it checked all of my boxes at that time and i was like all right let's let's give this a watch and i still kick myself for this um at a local blockbuster video i know get into the old history textbooks there figure out what that is um they had um the tron dvd for the 20th anniversary no that couldn't be right no maybe it was yeah i think it was the 20th or 25th and it was like a big double disc maybe a three disc even um release and it just had like a slew of extras and i wanted it so bad but it was right around my best friend's birthday at that time and so i bought it for him so we could watch it together because i couldn't justify my to myself buying something for me when it was my friend's birthday so i got him this and he was like oh okay turns out though like when like this is really jumping ahead here when disney released a new sequel he was like right on board with me like into the fandom and he knew exactly what everything was so that kind of worked out but yeah um tron what is there to say obviously lots we're doing a podcast so to break it down the things i love about this first movie this is like god tier um, where it all started you have he's okay so like in this first movie you have kevin flynn which is portrayed by jeff bridges oh by the way citron so uh steven leisberger was trying to produce this film with like tech that hadn't been seen it was going to be ridiculously expensive and he brought it by all of these studios and the studios were like no 
no, maybe if you change this, maybe if you change that, maybe if you cut the budget. So basically he got rejected by everybody. And Disney, who was just like, ooh, like hurting for a hit, basically like threw him a bone. They're like, all right, let's try this out. We've just had like absolute duds for like the last three, four years. And they were about to have a few more, unfortunately. So they, they throw him this bone. And uh, you got Jeff Bridges here, who's playing Kevin Flynn. And Kevin Flynn works for a company, or rather worked for a company called Encom. So Kevin here, he's pretty smart. The film opens up with him, um, basically a little version of him in the computer called Clue, codified likeness utility. He's trying to find um, like the blueprints, I suppose, of games he created when he was working at Encom. So keep in mind, this is 1984. Um, you know, with a little bit of research, I didn't even think about looking this up. This is probably though, like right between, this is probably before NES, it could be. Is it? It's probably right at NES, but it's definitely Atari, Atari 2600 time. So video games are huge. I would assume this is probably before or just around uh, the Atari crash, like the video game crash, you know, E.T. and stuff like that. So games are big money. They're still big money, obviously, but they were big money then. And uh, he makes all these games, like Space Paranoids. That's the big one they show in the movie. And he's basically um, Ed Dillinger. He's basically now... Um, I don't know what his position is. He's basically like a senior officer, though, of the company. And he got there by stealing uh, Kev Dog's games. And then um, Jeff Bridges, Kev Dog, as I just referred to him for reasons unknown, he's fired because Dillinger has taken, uh, you know, he says uh, ownership, rather, of the games. So without getting too... Um, very very specific like oddly specific into the um the actual film before even actually talking about the film he uses clue to <laughs> so this is the thing in this movie he's shown to be very smart but in like later stuff for some reason he like ascends to like god level status and if you shut your brain off just a little bit you're like oh no i can believe this but also you're like like he's smart he knows how to do this stuff, but like, uh, you know, I don't, I, 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 me being obsessed as I am, I still can't even buy that, but we're jumping way too far ahead here. So he's got a friend. Um, actually, you know what? I don't think that's his friend. So he has a friend named Laura, which is his friend. I was going to say he has a friend named uh, Alan Bradley, but that is not his friend they kind of um they're on good terms but they're a little adversarial because laura you know it's kind of like that triangle there but currently alan who is um i don't know if he's ahead of anything but he's basically he's writing a security program called yeah tron and tron basically is if that gets put onto the servers it'll basically like sheriff any corrupted programs um, that are going on right now. And oddly enough, 
Ed Dillinger, jumping back a little bit, he has this almost like sentient program called the MCP Master Control Program, and that's basically doing his job for him, which doesn't make any sense. They've kind of got this weird symbiotic relationship, and um, it's cool. Like, it's cool as hell. Like, I'm not going to lie, but it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like, if he was able to create the MCP, I don't understand how he couldn't have created some simple games that Kevin Flynn made. But, you know, sometimes you don't go too deep into that. This is coming from a guy, like I said, I've been saying, who's obsessed. So he's obviously, and me speaking about myself in third person for some reason, I've thought about this way too much for far too long. And so you get into thoughts like this. But if you're just watching this for the first time, I am so sorry. Uh, because now you're probably going to think about all this stuff instead of just taking it as face value. But... Um, so this MCP though is basically, um, I don't know if he's so much corrupting the actual system. Keep in mind, this is 84. So this system that's right now is currently just at NCOM. It is a closed system. There's no internet or anything like that, that these, um, programs and stuff are going to be like leaving for or something like that. Um, but I think that is ultimately the goal of the MCP is to get all of the, the programs um, under his control and then maybe he can go to other businesses and like get into banks um, and just basically kind of consume everything. So Flynn here is like, hey, um, my guy Clue, is, he's smart and I'm smart and I can't get past MCP. He's getting too big. So what we have to do is uh, you have to get back to the office so we can upload Tron, uh, which earlier Ed Dillinger was like, mm, I'd kind of like if you let me see that Tron program. So, you know, he's going to mess around with it. And Alan Bradley's like, mm, no, like shove it basically. And so even though Alan Bradley is like, look, Flynn, like I'm not really your biggest fan. I'll help you out because I've been noticing some shady stuff too. And so they go. And you see one of the biggest doors I've ever seen, like fantasy or nonfiction, um, open. And it's like the safe to the company. It's a real door because you'll see it in later stuff. And they obviously they comment on it. It's kind of like a little uh, quote that's often said now. That's a big door. Um, so they go in there. They're they're fooling around. Kevin Flynn's being a big child as always, and uh, wouldn't you know, he's like, "Let me uh, fool around here a little bit. Let me see what 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 I can do." And uh, MCP sees this, and he's like, mm, "No." So what he does, this is this is where the movie gets crazy, is he has this like digitizer, and it rolls down on a belt, and it locks on Kevin Flynn. It shoots a beam down at Kevin Flynn, who's trying to like mess around with the MCP, and uh, it hits him. And then when he hits him, it's like a freeze frame, and like an old fax machine or a printer from like the '80s, or early '90s, it's like boop, 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 like all in a line, like little cubicles, little squares. So if you were to take a picture of somebody and cut it all into little squares, and then slowly on a line, like you know, uh, left to right, left to right, left to right, like scanning. It slowly eats it away, and he's digitized. And when he goes through, he is in the world of Tron, which 
Tron is the character, so I never really got that, but he is in the system. Um, he's in the system now of NCOM. So yeah, and that's where the movie kind of starts. Not every great movie or great arcade game makes a great home video game. That's why when Mattel Electronics turned Tron into Tron Home Video Games, we made sure the excitement of Tron gameplay found its way into your home. You'll know it the moment you square off against a recognizer, if you last that long. Four great Tron games, two for Intellivision, two for Atari 2600. From Mattel Electronics, games as good as we say they are, maybe better. So before we explore further into the beauty that is Tron from 1982, there's a few things about this film that I love and, well, I find neat that needed to be pointed out. So first, I should have listened to that audio first because definitely it's Atari 2600 and ColecoVision. Those were the systems to have. The NES obviously or probably must not have come out until the next year or something. Second, Tron is always noted for being one of, if not the first, like, use, obviously, but like heavy use of CGI um, in a film, and obviously how groundbreaking it is. But it's also important to note how impressive the colors and the tone are throughout this film. Like, it's something else. There's it starts off a little bland, but it is a wide, wide assortment. Um, it strikes like this really nice balance between like the dullness of like 80s computers, you know, like kind of like that, like that eggshell, like blanchy white or like a tan or like a beige, all very kind of mellow, not the nicest looking, like white that always kind of looks dirty a little. That's kind of how I remember early 90s computers. So it kind of has that color on the exterior of a lot of things, including the costumes, but it contrasts beautifully with all the, the bright, vibrant colors displayed within the costumes and the atmospheres. So you got like your um, magentas and like neon blues and greens, um, your reds, your oranges, your yellows. Uh, uh, what else is there? Um, oh, too, in one of the scenes, there's just like a hodgepodge, like a huge variety of like almost tie-dye like colors going in and out of each other, like dark blue, yellow, purple, pink. Oh, it's beautiful. And uh, it's basically how I see it anyways. You have like that bland, beige-ish kind of exterior, and then the interior are those colors. And it's kind of like how the neon texts would be in the computers. So I don't know if that was intentional, Maybe I'm just maybe using some of the expensive university learning, you know, to kind of read in between the lines. But that's just kind of how I see. Also, too, a big thing for this film is the wonderful score. Um, this score is phenomenal. Like, I, if like at first listening to it, I didn't really pay any mind to it. But if you're just kind of listening to it. Because there are some times in the film where it gets kind of quiet or there's not a lot happening. Not that it's boring, but it's it's just giving you like a glimpse into like the atmosphere in the world. If you just listen to like the music, oh, it's it's just wonderful. Um, the main theme alone um, is as is as iconic as it is enchanting. Um, Wendy Carlos, she did an amazing job for this. 
actually, from what I understand, she only did um, three films. She only did the scores for three films. She's very accomplished, kind of like a, an electric organist, like a keyboardist is kind of like the main uh, instrument that she vibes with, that she uses. Uh, she did uh, A Clockwork Orange and The Shining, both for Stanley Kubrick. And then her last one, she only did three. She did a lot of music, um, but only three um, soundtracks. This was her last one. Um, but yeah, she did an amazing job. It's kind of more fantastical than something like techno or like like bleeps and bloops, kind of like what you would be expecting today when you're thinking about like old computers. Um, but that sound, it works perfectly. It's great. Also, too, in the film it has nothing to do with the production, which the production, by the way, the, how they did that is like the computer... Um, you can see this all in special effects, but if you're here now, I might as well tell you special effects, special features. All right, moving forward. Um, it's, so they had all of the CGI scenes done. So they were done in the computer, but keep in mind, this is 1983 that they're working on this. So it's not like they could blue screen the characters in. They couldn't have the characters working with like models like they do now or working with like green screen and then put them in. So what they had to do was they ran the computer to its absolute limits to get like the light bite scene or yeah, the light bite scene or like uh, also too, you'll see like when they're like their air tanks or something like that. I used to know what they were called, but it's like the ships, right? The uh, the light ships, what they're actually called, but um, um, they're called recognizers. Yeah, I honestly don't know how I didn't remember this. So anyways, just gonna pop in and pop out. Back to listening. They'll show the computer shot and then it will cut to them inside a set steering or driving these things, it very rarely shows um, the two cross like at the same time. Um, so when it does do that, they basically had to put the film on top of it, like in it. So they had to run the film over like the finished product and just hope that they got it right. It's just hearing stuff like that, it's like, like it makes sense why it was so expensive. They're using tech that hadn't been used before. And then they're basically pioneering how it's done. It's not even as simple as like mixing animation with live action because then you do the live action and then you can add the animation for this. It was like they had to do the computer animation and then per try to perfectly film it and crop it so that it would have fit perfectly in it. So like when they have the light bikes, and it shows the cronies and Tron and Ram and Flynn. And it, they're just kind of in it. Like you can see their head, maybe some of their shoulders. That had to be time perfect. And that's why you don't see a lot of it. It's not like they're zoomed in on them for a long period of time. It's just, it's surreal. Also too, it's all filmed in black and white. So all the suits are colored. Like in the original Star Wars, it's all colored post. Like hand colored it's for that bright. It's... It's just painstaking to think how long that would have taken. Right. Oh, yeah. So what I was going to say is in the film, <laughs> it, I get a little carried away there. Uh, keep an eye out for a hidden Mickey. Most Disney films have a hidden Mickey. Um, some have two, three, four. This one, I believe, only has one. It might have two. 
And also there's a Pac-Man cameo, um, Sark, who's the bad guy. It's the same person who plays Ed Dillinger. Um, yeah, he's looking at a map or yeah, some sort of a radar. And you can see he is, he's not probably looking at anything that was probably added it in, added it, added it in. Um, and there's just a little Pac-Man. Anyways, back to the story. Where was I? Right. Kevin Flynn. Uh, so now he wakes up, he's inside the system. Um, he sees, uh, oh yeah. So he's in the system. So because Kevin Flynn is in the system, because Jeff Bridges also played Clue, sadly, that means there's no more Clue for this film, which is, is too bad because those opening scenes, like where it's like, come on Clue, we need to do this. And he's like, let me at them are some of my fave scenes, like in the series. Like every out of everything, it's top five. Right. Um, so Kevin Flynn, he's in the system. He's like, what the hell, right? As anybody would. Um, like, how's he even breathing? There's obviously holes I could poke in this, um, but I'm not going to. So, um, yeah. So he's getting ushered along with all these people eventually, other programs rather. And uh, he sees somebody, um, there's games. So basically Sark is making people play games for their life. Uh, so he has a bunch of people pitted against this one guy and this guy is actually like destroying them. Hey, who's that guy? That's Tron, he fights for the users. Yeah, so that's where we uh, were introduced to Tron. I don't really think I want to get too in depth with like the plot of this film. But basically, Flynn is imprisoned, uh, and his bunkmate is Ram. Uh, Ram is basically another duplicate of a person we've actually seen. It's um in the office at ENCOM, Alan Bradley's walking around and somebody pokes out of the cubicle and uh, he asks for some popcorn. That guy is Ram. Um, just a little uh, something. So let's fast forward a bit. We have Ram, Flynn, Tron. They're all put onto the games. MCP is like, you guys are gonna die. And this is where we see the huge climatic part of Tron. This is the light cycle battle. You've never seen anything like this on film. 1984, you've got the good guys all in different colors and you've got the bad guys more or less in different colors, but kind of the same. And um, so yeah, they're racing. And it's basically, um, if you've never seen Tron before, they move kind of like that game Snake, where it's all in lines and uh, you're basically trying to close the other person off. So each light cycle leaves a light um, beam behind them and it's like a solid wall. So everywhere the car moves in this like grid, um, they're leaving a wall behind them. So the space within the grid gets more and more and more confined. And so um, Flynn gets an idea and he basically makes one of the enemy uh, programs drive right into the wall of this containment. And then there's a crack. And so he leads all three of them out. 
um, as they're being shot at. And then, of course, there's tanks and stuff that are firing at them, but they make it out. Um, but unfortunately, they get separated. Um, Tron is separated from Flynn and Ram, and Ram, unfortunately, gets injured. It's at this point um, later on that uh, Ram figures out when they when Flynn assembles one of the broken vehicles, he figures out he's a user, which is one thing that the programs have been like kind of been force, um, which you'll see recurring throughout this whole series is whenever um, the antagonist comes into power, he basically says, um, don't worry about that. There's no such thing as a user. It's like, this is what your real purpose is, which is kind of cool. Um, but then he's like, there is users. Cause like Kevin Flynn now is like, he was kind of like a, a pizza eating like dork. And now in this world, he's a God. It's just, it's crazy. And, uh, but he's a, he's a cool God. He's like, don't worry, like, I'll make sure things end right. And uh, so Tron, on the other side of the scale, scale, story, on the other side of the story here, he's caught up with Yori, which is the counterpart to his, to uh, Lori, the girlfriend. And uh, yeah, there's some really cool scenes. They like go through this like kind of sketchy underworld part of the grid, which is kind of like you're seeing like colorful like prostitutes and like street uh, street merchants and stuff. It's weird when you think about it, but it doesn't give you a lot of time to think about it. You only see this scene for like, I don't know, one minute or something like that. Um, so then he catches up with Yori and, and Tron's like, okay, we have to figure out what we're gonna do with the MCP. And so Yori's like, all right, so the only thing we can do is like go to Demont. And so Demont, <laughs> Sorry for laughing, but Dumont is like this um, old sage character, but on top of his head, he's got like the weirdest costume. It's kind of cool, but it's like, I can't help but always think that he's got like a, sorry for the kids listening, but he's got like this like giant foam dildo <laughs> on his head. It's like this giant cylinder on top of his head and he's just stuck in like the floor. Like it's kind of like a hill that he's on as if he's like this grand sage, but he's like stuck, he can't get out and stuff. And so basically like Yori's like, okay, um, Dumont, you have to, you're, you control all the communication, so you have to open this up so Tron can reach out to his user, Alan, and let him know, like do the program, right? Like as if Norton Antivirus is like, yeah, so here's the problem with your system. He needs to notify Alan that like the MCP is, is, is up to no good. Um, and he's like, all right, but like, we're going to probably die. And he's like, and she's like, please, please, please just do this. And he's like, okay. So MCP comes uh, with, well, Sark comes. Sark is like, it's weird because like in real life, Ed Dillinger created MCP, but MCP kind of <laughs> tells him what to do. And then in like the actual like system, MCP controls like Dillinger's counterpart which is just hilarious like he doesn't have control really in like the real world or in the system but his outfit's on point I love that headgear and stuff it's really cool so he comes in with his goons like his guards uh, with their huge like batons and uh, Tron and Yori like they break for it they climb out the window and <laughs> like thanks for having me killed I got this and um, they escape and the signal Oh, two. This is when you get that iconic scene. You see it in like the the posters from like 
like from now to the end of time and it's like tron he's like in the room of communications whatever it's called and uh he like lifts up his his identity disc oh right so if you've never seen this all of the programs even like flynn now that he's in the system they all get a disc and this disc is for lack of a better term is like the lightsaber of tron it like glows whatever color your actual garb is and in this film it doesn't obey any laws of physics when you throw it it just whips around like does like figure eights and yada yada it doesn't like go like a boomerang or bounce off walls and do proper physics and land back to you like it doesn't even follow like captain american captain america shield physics like it's all over the place like the the animators had fun with this um but they all get this and that's like their main weapon so you can deflect other discs you can throw it but there's also other weapons like the guards have those batons um there's no guns um but yeah so anyways um where was i even hold on a sec i'm just gonna pause for a quick second here right <laughs> identity discs so tron he's standing there in this like um the, it's not the tube but it's just like basically like the uh the room of communications let's just say like for somebody who's like i'm obsessed with tron like now that i'm talking about it, it's like i don't know the names of anything so he's in this room of communications and he's like he connects with alan and he's like, okay, I got to send the, the information. So he's standing there, this like, almost like holy light, like heaven is open onto him. So yeah, like users are like gods and they like make that very clear. And it's not like a preachy way. It's just, it's actually kind of like awesome. Um, so this like heavenly light almost is like on him. And he's just, he lifts his disc and he puts his discs over his, his head. And he, he like, he slowly moves his hands from the discs, from the disc and the disc like floats up and it's like glowing. And that's when you hear like, like the theme. And it's just like, and it's like basically message received. And he's like, yes. So now Alan, which I don't know, I can only assume like the time in the system, it must like, it must be not equivalent to real time, like outside of the computer because if Alan's still in the system, or Alan's still at NCOM, and Flynn has been in the system for what has almost been an hour at this point, and they're still in there, A, there's no security, B, no one's like, what happened to Kevin? It's a little odd, but then Alan gets Alan gets the, um, the info. He gets the info from Tron, and uh, he's like probably thinking, A, great, I am actually a genius because my program that I've been working on for so long works, and... B, he's probably like, did my program just talk to me? Because I don't know how they conveyed it. It's probably just in like Tron uh, program, MCP corrupt. Here's proof. Beep, boop, 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 boop. I don't know. Um, so he gets the proof and that's all they needed. That was like the, that's the whole point of this movie, basically. That and figuring out that Kevin Flynn was the real creator behind Space Paranoids and the one or two other games that were making NCOM some sweet, sweet dough. That's it. That's this whole movie. It, this like almost God um, complex, state-of-the-art, CGI, like fast acting, like 
get um, science fantasy picture is all about like, I need to prove that my system works and that these guys stole my games. That's it. So if, but don't think about that because uh, the message gets in there. I'm sure I'm missing some stuff. Flynn reaches up with them. Um, Flynn, Tron, Yori, they go on the solar sailor. And this is, this is, uh, if you made it this far, this is where you're going to see your, uh, your hidden Mickey. Just look on the ground. It's almost impossible to miss this. Um, the solar sailor is cool. You're going to see that throughout the series um, as it moves forward, almost a decade apart each time. And then they get there uh, to like the main. I don't think this is the exit entry point per se, but this is where you're going to see. This is the final confrontation between the MCP and Tron, or three of them, I guess. They're all there. Uh, Sark's there with the MCP, Flynn, Tron, they're there. So, right, so this is where um, the three versus the two uh, have the showdown, the final showdown. And this is where you see Tron being like a complete badass hero. Like, this is why he gets the namesake for the film. So he's doing one-on-one with Sark. And like MCP is kind of being like a big bitch. He's, He's being a bitch. He's like, Sark... Make sure you defeat him. He can't. He can't get here. Don't let him. Blah blah blah. Like, ugh, so annoying. And wouldn't you know, Sark loses. Uh, Tron like throws the disc, and it gets him like right in the head. He's dead. And so like Tron wastes no time. He's going right towards the MCP. The MCP's got like these metallic-like squares covering him, which is like the center. Imagine like Power Rangers, like Zordon. He's kind of like a tube with a face like that. And then at the end of his cylinder, it goes into like a a cone. And then that cone goes to the base. So I guess to destroy that, he's got to get in that base, which you'll see in like Discs of Tron. It might be in Tron too. So these are like two arcade games that probably, uh, I think did come to the Atari 2600 or the Intellivision. That's I think what that ad was way back that I played. And uh, so he's, he's slowly picking off these things. And he's like, um, okay, Sark, I give all my power to you. And so he goes into Sark. Again, this is a fantasy movie. There's no explanation as to how this happens. But then like, Sark, again, like Power Rangers, is this <laughs> massive monster of a program. And Tron is like, oh, what? The f- like, what? And he's trying to get him. But like Sark's basically just like walking slow. Imagine like Godzilla to a person. He's basically like, even if you had like Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan, like why do I even choose that? Like imagine you had the Terminator against Godzilla, like Godzilla would still step on him, right? And that's basically what this is like. So then Flynn is like, all right, this is the only way. Like I'll go into the MCP, I'll destroy him because I'm a god. I'm like the, the coming of God and I'll get my records too and I'll save Tron. And so Yori gives him a kiss, which is like, it's kind of cool because you can kind of tell that Flynn still has vibes for uh, Lori in the real world. So they share a kiss and he jumps in. And when he jumps in, the MCP is like, boop, dead. Just like that. Uh, so Sark dies. I think he disintegrates. And then Tron's like, huzzah. He's not like that um, at all. But they 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 get it. Tron. Um, Tron. Ugh. Flynn is like redigitized, like boop, 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 like he was before, but opposite, you know, because he's back. And then, of course, the printer is like, beep, boop, 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 boop. (laughs) 
this is something I still find hilarious. I've seen this movie like 30 times. It's, uh, it's like Space Paranoids and like whatever the other games were. It's like, uh, first created by Kevin Flynn at this time, at this place, done, signed, and calm. It's just hilarious. Like how that proves the record slash whatever hold up in court or anything and then ed dillinger's like gah you've done it i'm ruined is that kind of like five it's hilarious but he is yeah he's he's definitely he's ruined ed dillinger is done uh he loses the company mcp is gone so all of his all of his like little schemes and effort because you know he's just like a shady slimy businessman he's not evil that's the worst part it's just like if if he just did it differently like this movie wouldn't have even happened and then that's it like it doesn't it doesn't do it doesn't go into anything they like go up and it's like there's like this weird soundtrack and he like waves to the <laughs> alan bradley and and laura laurie i've been calling her laurie is she laura though i don't know and Flynn's just like see you later and he gets in the helicopter and the helicopter which is a cool helicopter it's like neon red I think or like orange and it says NCOM on it all like it looks like fluorescent tubing that's like how the lettering looks it just flies off and it's just like Buena Vista pictures or whatever like Tron and then it's over and it's like black with green letters and it's over and it's like that's it he like I think he might make one reference like oh Alan like or he's like hey Tron or something and he's like what the like Alan's like why are you calling me Tron he's like (laughs) oh do I have a story to tell you or something I don't know I didn't I should have watched this recently but I was trying to watch all the other stuff because that's kind of what I remember less of yeah it's just kind of weird do you think they'd get into it a little more and uh they do they do, but it takes like, what is this, 1984? It takes them 20 years. It takes them 20 years. Nothing new for Tron comes out until 2004. So wrap your mind around that. So this is before there's even a franchise. Tron isn't a series. Tron is literally an underperforming um, Disney feature film. It sadly had underperformed, which for Disney means nothing like let's say the movie in Disney this is still up to when I talk about the sequel this is still up to 2010 like the film costs let's say 20 million and you double that for advertising so it's like 40 million and the film makes 80 million they're like what the how is this film flopping and it's like flopping you made 40 million dollars like there's horror franchises that pump up like 12 films and they made like 10, $5 million. You're it's, that's the thing. Cause Disney is one of those companies where they're always like, if we're going to put $2 into this, we better be making $20,000. Like their expectations I find are always way over the top. I don't know. Even st- still to this day, they're just like, whenever we put out something, if it's not making over a billion dollars, it's a flop and it's yeah but that's a whole other topic talking about how movies are not creative at all anymore but yeah 2004 we get tron 2.0 which um this is now no longer canon 
Um, I've seen fun theories of how Tron 2.0 and its follow-up comic, Tron Ghost in the Machine, kind of work together with the new legacy um, film. Uh, film. Bah, 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 I'm thinking about the word. Timeline? Yeah. Legacy timeline. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's cool. Like Tron 2.0 and the follow-up ghost in well the ghost in ghost in the machine um if you can get that and trade paperback it is hella expensive i bought it i bought it um 2013 it was still on amazon so amazon prime they're like yeah we can get it to you it's 25 dollars. i waited for a whole year there were other comics that were like uh new for 40 dollars that i could have picked up but i was like nope don't you worry amazon will come through and for a whole here. They just yanked me around and they're like, well, sorry, we don't have it. Here's your refund. And at that time to get it, like all of them were like two, $300. I lucked out. I got a brand new one for, <laughs> I say it like I lucked out. I didn't luck out. I, I still paid like an arm and a leg. I think I paid $65 for a comic book for a game I never fully beat. Not that I couldn't. I'm sure I could have beat it. Um, I just, I don't know. It's it's hard with like old 3D games. You've got to really love them or this or there's got to be some sort of I don't know, the quality to them, little the quirks because I I don't know, even like some N64 games. N64 is kind of different cuz it's Nintendo and they put a lot of love into a lot of their stuff, but even yeah, like everything from like Sega yeah, like the Sega Genesis, like 32X, PlayStation, Saturn, Dream, even Dreamcast, like Dreamcast, um, yeah, even like PlayStation 2, Xbox, GameCube, all PC games from like 2005 to like 1999, let's say, like, let's be honest, they haven't aged incredibly well, like, there's still really good stories in some of them, they're still like cool, um, aspects and stuff like that but they just i don't know they didn't they don't age well but um you can watch it watch tron 2.0 online on youtube there's a whole playthrough obviously try and find a condensed playthrough something that has all of the cutscenes or uh dialogue during in game or like boss fights I've, i think i watched one it was like, like five hours it's a long time obviously don't watch it you can watch it all in one go i mean but i i wouldn't have um yeah, it's it's cool. So basically, that film picks up verbatim like around two thousand and four. Kevin Flynn is is uh, I don't know if he's actually still head of the company, but now Encom is owned by um, a company called Fcon. Yeah, it's extremely creative. So um, that's Alan Bradley, I guess, is the head now of I don't know engineering or something like that. Like computer engineering and his son jet bradley he uh was the game like opens he's playing tron like the arcade cabinet which is explained that uh kevin flynn made that arcade cabinet after the experiences of the first game and people like chalk it up to him being crazy or the first movie rather i'm sorry about that and basically uh and basically um alan is on the phone with jet saying like why didn't you take the promotion blah 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 and then on the phone you hear um 
Alan get taken away. And then when Jet tries to figure it out, there's a program called um, Mithria that beams him in almost verbatim how Kevin Flynn in the original film was beamed in. Now this game, aside from being a little dated, plays extremely well and it's a very high-end um, production. The uh, it, yeah, it, it plays like a standard first-person shooter, but it's not so much like a Call of Duty, like what a lot of people are familiar with now. It does play kind of similar to um, um, like a kind of like a mix of like uh, what you remember Goldeneye kind of playing like, like a, or like a Far Cry game, and then also a little bit like Bioshock, because it's not just guns. You can use other um, abilities and equipment. Uh, your melee is the disc, um, which is kind of cool, the identity disc. But there are guns, uh, there's like almost like psi powers and such like that. Um, the game has Bruce Boxletter, Leitner, who has played Tron in everything. If you find anything Tron, it's always got Bruce. He is always Tron, so he is Tron. And it's got um, Cindy Morgan. It's got Cindy Morgan back who played um, Yori. Um, but now she is actually the voice for Mithria, which is a program that um, Alan had made. Because um, I guess Laura, uh, or I, I keep calling her Laura, I should really look it up. Uh, she passes away, I guess. I don't really know why, or the fact why Yori's programs couldn't still be around. I don't get it. But anyways, it's this, oh, and Rebecca Romaine, uh, I think it's... It's still Stamos at this time. She's in it. She voices um, one of the programs named Mercury. It's high end. Like there's an intro cutscene, intro titles, a whole score, a whole story. It's it was a very high end game when Disney releases. There was a lot of press. Evidently, I was not into it. I I never had a good PC. A good PC. I still don't. I've never had a good one. I can never play really high end games, and if I do, they look atrocious. Like I have the graphics turned down to like one. They're awful. Um, and when it was released later as killer app for Xbox, I was like a Nintendo guy. So I only had GameCube. So it never came out. I I did, however, get the chance to. Uh, play uh, killer app the game boy color but at the time i didn't really know what it was or what was going on i obviously later on bought it in box um still haven't opened it but uh, i've watched the playthrough and it's really interesting where they go with this um with the tron universe it makes a lot of sense it's different than what we get eventually but it makes sense you know what i mean if it still very much feels like this would have been in the tron world like all the color, all the colors are the same. The concepts are similar. You know, you have your good programs, your bad programs. The world uh, in this game looks far similar to the original because they're still technically in NCOM. This is still the system. The different, uh, the difference being that now it's collect, it's connected through the internet. There's online. There's other things going on. There's different kinds of programs. There's like. Um, game bots and then programs so there's like um i guess programs that are specifically made for games so when you're being challenged it's by a game bot it's specifically made for that and of course there's an antagonist who's um challenging um not, not the identity but like the meaning of what the programs think their purposes are and so the main program <sighs> It's, it's been a while, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's like 
the the CEO of FCON got himself digitized into the world akin to like how Kevin Flynn did, but something went wrong. And then when he came through, he became kind of corrupt, almost like a virus. And so he's messing around with people. And then the company FCON is trying to harness that technology so they can, you know, control, control things like control banks, foreign systems, et cetera, similar to what happened in the film, like the 1982, um, film, but, uh, on a much more global scale. And so it's up to Jet to not only A, save his dad. Oh yeah, that's the thing. So he, I, I can't remember if I mentioned this. So his dad's talking to him, he hears mumbles, blah, blah, blah. It turns out that Alan's kidnapped and they're trying to ha have Alan basically help them get this corrupted guy out of the system so they can like use that bad technology and not like bad, like <laughs> crappy like bad as in like sinister um but yeah it's it's the thing with this as as believable as it is because it still very much feels like the world of tron that like was set up in the movie but it it's so much darker and not like dark as in like colors like it, it goes like deep it explores like themes and such that weren't even remotely like there's some kind of like if you put your deep I'm going in deep glasses. You can pick pick out some stuff like a, a little bit in the in the film, but when you get into the games, everything is like a, a, a like a theoretical question or a hypothetical this or challenging your ideals or challenging your beliefs because you have to make choices, right? As the character, it's not super um, your choices affect everything kind of a game, but there's still consequences to things but there's some cool stuff new light bike designs that were made by uh, I, I hope i'm saying this i hope i remember this right sid meyer he's the guy who does i'm pretty sure he did like blade runner and some stuff for star wars uh, maybe even alien if i could be like he didn't do like the alien designs but like the ship no uh, let's just scratch alien i don't think he did alien at all but he did a lot of cool sci-fi stuff um, but he also did the original uh, Tron light bikes. So he designed a new one for this. What else? It's kind of cool. Like the game, the game is um, is neat because it's 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 fully believable, especially being 2004, you didn't know what's gonna come out in the future, but having what we have now um, in terms of like f Disney re-upping the series if you like still look at that you're like no that's 100 percent what this series could have been it's it's very believable like even though it goes into kind of like a um into like a rabbit hole sort of speak of like it's just it's just not fun <laughs> like it's not a fun turnout there's a lot of cool things but it takes itself a little serious and if you jump into the the um the graphic novel follow-up ghost in the machine that's when it gets really really deep because then you're dealing with subjects like the program um there's like program like the user like it's like i'm stumbling over my words it's so hard to explain you have like jet bradley who defeats um like wins the day like I just, I'm not going deep into these because they, it's not like they hurt my brain, but I'm just going to stumble over all my words. Basically, so the, the day is saved. 
and then when he's coming out something happens there's like a copy made um, and I could be wrong I only read it once but uh, I was just kind of passing through the pages here just before we started recording and it's, it's it's like he comes out of the game but then there's like a program clone of him who thinks he's him but doesn't retain his powers Right. So then within the system, you have now a program who believes he's a user. Okay. Like, do you hear what I'm saying? Like this already sounds so like not hoity toity, but like it's basically trying to be the matrix, but within Tron, like challenging concepts of like God, um, challenging like concepts of like what our purpose is and like very like RoboCop. Like if you believe you're something, are you something? It gets crazy, but without going into the story too much, the art alone in Ghost of the Machine is wow. It is like I this is good radio. I like did like the you know the Italian like oh that's a nice spaghetti. That's basically what I did. The art is like surreal. It's so crisp. Like the book itself is is beautiful. Like the pages are glossy. It's well made. It's a like I'm not a huge book guy, but like. It is very, very beautiful. There's, um, I was just grabbing it here. Yeah, the colors are crisp. And it kind of seems, there might be a couple artists. Yeah, it looks like there's three artists and you can tell. It's not like there's a huge um, variance, but uh, there's definitely a little bit of an art style difference, but we're getting into like um, stuff that is completely it's like a mixture of, mixture of like old concept and new concept stuff. Like you still have them dealing with the MCP, but then now you have stuff of like them going into the minds of people that are playing within the game. They're chasing the white rabbit. Stuff is getting like all over the place and they're like altering with people's brains. Oh my goodness. But the art here is incredible. <laughs> Sorry if you can hear me flicking through the pages. But basically things go a little haywire like there's programs that are corrupt that are like corrupting other programs like experimenting on them like this is such a far leap um from what happened in like the first film although in future films you will see other programs thinking that they're superior to other things and repurposing other programs but like this is like dark like i if as a kid you liked tron and you got your hands on tron 2.0 i would wait you know like sure you could let them have this and they could look through it but it's um it's dark it's a little surreal it's a little um next level uh that's probably the best way to describe that it um yeah like i said earlier on it is very expensive it is not um because it's old it's definitely out of print um once disney bought marvel then marvel handled the very brief, but the new run of the Tron comics. This was uh, done by uh, SLG Publishing, which stands for, I don't know. I think it's like slave labor. It does give, yeah, it does give a little like prelude, which is great because if you haven't played the game, then you yeah, it catches you all the way up. Oh right, that's kind of cool. It's big, big selling point. I should even, I should have mentioned it. In the game, what they're all looking for is the Tron Legacy code. 
because that code is what's keeping everything at bay. So if they can take that code and dismantle it, um, then the then that corrupt um, program will be free to do what they need. So it's up to Jet to get the Tron legacy code, and he gets it and he brings it out, and uh, that's basically it. Which is, you know, obviously they didn't plan this, but uh, having Tron legacy, you know, I'm sure that kind of went into some sort of um, planning. But yeah, it's it's kind of neat. Um, obviously, if you're playing that game before you see anything else, you're not gonna think anything of it, but. Basically, like, yeah, there are some downsides to this game. Uh, for one being, there isn't a lot of Tron. There's, as far as I can recall, there isn't really any Tron. There's reference to Tron, um, which you'll see a lot more as the, I guess as the series continues, there isn't really a lot of Tron. Um, the, the, the first film has Tron. Um, actually, that's not true. So this game doesn't have a lot of Tron. That is a downside. But in the killer app, so when it was ported to Xbox, they gave it a little extra something. It was called Killer App. But then when it was ported to Game Boy Advance and it was called Killer App, that actually takes place your Tron. It's kind of a pre... It's kind of pre um, 2.0. It's basically like Tron and it's either Mathria or Matua. Not really can't really remember but they're basically going through the system trying to take care of things but um, yeah that's basically up into this point in the series these th these three uh, I guess these four entries you're really only getting a lot of Tron in the, the movie and in the Game Boy Advance um, just a lot of mentions it is a downside also too it's not extremely memorable unfortunately the um the 2.0 kind of saga is not extremely memorable um but the game tron 2.0 this is still what i'm getting at here is the um technically the the second part of uh the original tron franchise the the original tron series uh it was highly regarded um it did really well, uh, even I think sales-wise, it did really well. Uh, like I said, highly regarded among critics and fans alike, uh, much like it's uh, much like the 1982 film, and uh, also like its graphic novel counterpart, uh, Ghost in the Machine. That also, I don't know if, what the sales were like, but I do know from what I've seen that it also was highly regarded critically and uh, by fans. Like people ate it up. That's the thing, when you, you have just like a cult film, if you just give anything, people, all the fans, they eat it up. They eat it up. It could be garbage <laughs> and they'll eat it, right? Because it's like they're clamoring for it. Otherwise it's just, it's just like fan, it's like, it's like fan films and like uh, fan stories. Like it, you, you, you just, you're clamoring for anything. Um, regardless, though, of all of this uh, positive uh, feedback, again, um, Disney put this property and uh, all chances of expanding on the established lore on ice yet again. Um, although for not quite as long as the original, um, the Tron 2.0 storyline, sadly, though, would now be dead and gone. Um, but it's not all sad. Soon there would be rumblings of something new. 
Something big, potentially, joining the series. Something that would eventually turn the little series into a franchise. So tune in uh, next time into Volume 2 uh, to see what's, uh, what's next in regards to uh, Tron Legacy. Or Tron's, Tron's <laughs> Legacy. Okay, that was atrocious. So, um, I think that's just about it. Um, jump into some sponsors. Um, again, this is the the Cave Bar and Dance Club in Innisfil, uh, located just north of Highway 89 on Highway 11. Formerly known as the Berkeley Square, this venue has been renovated to the nines, bringing you the best entertainment experience. Throughout each and every week, the cave will feature various DJs and bands. So please check out Innisville's newest entertainment and dining scene. For booking and info, please call CAVE at 705-456-3434. That's 705-456-3434. Yeah, go check it out. They've been open now for at least a week, two weeks maybe. And uh, yeah, they've got quite the show going on. I can see the lights all the time. But yeah, if you stop in and you want to see the place, if they ask you how you heard about them, make sure you let them know. It was from a conversation for one podcast. So yeah, go check out the cave, uh, bar and dance club. And uh, for unsponsored sponsors this week, um, not too many. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to save the majority of stuff I was going to talk about and uh, the side piece. Like, you know, I talk about, um, I got to find a name for that. So if you have any suggestions on what I can call um, the side topic where I talk about something that's unloved or not remembered, uh, hit me up. I'd love to uh, hear some ideas. Where is it here? I had it. Oh, right. Here it is. So for my unsponsored sponsors, this is kind of cool. I've never, I had never seen this before, so I'm definitely gonna have to get my hands on this. It's called uh, Cybernetrics. Cybernetrics. It's written by Carlton Mellick III. And here's the little synopsis here. In an alternate reality where 80s fads never went out of style, struggling comic book creator Wesley Allen Scott enters the virtual world of Cybernetrics based on the classic film Tron and his life will never be the same. So apparently this is like, it's a book, it's a, it's a book um, and it's kind of a spoof, but like from what I understand from what I'm reading here, it's kind of like a smart spoof. So it's its own story, but it's picking at things. Uh, Cybernetric, as it says here, is not set in the Tron universe, but it was inspired by it. So um, what, is, what is the thing here? Uh, it's, it's, oh. Apparently it is full of adult content, so if you're a parent listening to this and your kid loves Tron, maybe give it a little breeze through before. Um, But from what I understand here, it is uh, basically for this world, it's got tons of references to a bunch of different things, but it was like this guy um, wanted to play Tron, but I guess it was like too expensive or he wanted to go into the world of Tron, but it was too expensive, so he goes into Cybernetrics, which is like the you know, like the RC Cola of Tron. And uh, I guess that's what everybody kind of feels the same way from what I'm seeing here. And it's like the cheaper version. I guess it's like playing Fortnite as opposed to playing like an actual AAA shooter. Uh, And it just, it went bananas. Like people were into it. But yeah, that's all I have uh, for like old Tron. Um, Yeah, 
because I'm I've got a little mini soda I'm working on. And a lot of stuff is gonna go there, and uh, yeah, I got a couple other things, but they're for a little further down the line in the series. So yeah, I guess I'll have to uh, hit you up with some more come volume two. I guess uh, actually I could probably recommend two other things. They're not two things that I would have recommended, but um, if you like South Park, there's an episode called You Have Zero Friends. It is the fourth episode of the 14th season. Um, it basically, it takes place, it's, it's, it's mocking Facebook, but it basically, the whole aesthetic is the original 1982 Tron. So that's kind of fun if you're into that. Also, uh, again, way less serious. Um, uh, Funnier Die made this. It's not on their site anymore, but if you poke around, I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. It's uh, kind of making fun of like the uh, Star Wars holiday special. It's the uh, the Tron Christmas special, I'm pretty sure. It's, uh, no, it is. It's the Tron holiday special. Um, and it's, it's not top notch or like really good. Um, production quality but it it's um definitely check that out it, it's not long it's like maybe five minutes it's worth a watch but that's yeah that's about it that's all i really got to uh to plug for that so i think that about uh is all the time i have today so just a quick reminder that uh you can listen to the superb uh podcast on uh, soundcloud on iTunes and on Google Play Music. And you can follow this podcast on Twitter and Instagram at ACFO Podcast. That's ACFO Podcast. Also, if you'd be so kind, I'd really, really be grateful if you'd rate, review, and subscribe from wherever you're listening from. If you have any suggestions or advice uh, for me, uh, or for future shows, um, you can email me at uh, same thing, uh, ACFO podcast, but at gmail.com. So that's ACFO podcast at gmail.com. Um, this podcast was produced, well, and written uh, by me, Tyler Horlings, and it was produced by the always excellent Victoria Chubb. Uh, and so, like I said at the beginning, I am inc- incredibly touched by all the support and listens from everybody. Um, so I'll continue to say this every episode. Um, thank you so much. Uh, thank you sincerely. I, I honestly really mean that. It means a lot even to just see like five listens after I upload an episode to know that five people listen to it. It, it means everything to me. So with that, I will talk to you soon for volume two. Tyler out. One million computer systems in the United States. Inside every one of them is a startling new world. When Kevin Flynn, a computer genius, unlocks the dimension beneath the screen, he becomes a prisoner in a world of his own making. The world of Tron. you have never seen, a name you have never heard, a vision you could never imagine, a world of heroes.
heroes and villains, where energy lives and breathes. a computer, the new world, Tron.